0: So please open your Bibles to Proverbs 31. This can be found on page 668 of your Red Bibles. We'll begin with verse 10 and read through to verse 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant's ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamb does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So so honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. This is the Word of the Lord.. Be
1: to God. Our New Testament lesson comes from the letter of James, first from chapter 1, verses five through eight, and then probably just on the next page in your red Bibles, uh, from chapter three verses 13 to 18. And we'll be going back and forth between those two passages. In fact, Uh, Throughout this eight-week series, which Sam started last week, each week we will have a few verses from chapter 1, and then verses from later in the book of James that kind of go with it. So let's hear God's word from James chapter 1. We'll begin uh, this morning in verse 5. Remember that Sam preached on the trials that will face us, that they're good, And that at the end of this, there is a trophy waiting for those who love the Lord. Verse 5. In view of all these trials, James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And then turn over to chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Let me encourage you to keep this on your lap or somewhere nearby so that we can refer to it throughout our meditation this morning. I've been here now at IPC for about 17 months, almost a year and a half. And I was thinking you probably think you've figured me out by now, right? 17 months is enough time to figure someone out. I've preached about 60 sermons now here. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, we get preacher Andy. Uh, He's got three points every week and those three points all start with the same letter, right? (laughs) <laughs> uh, today, for example, yeah, we have three points as usual, but under each point are actually three sub points. So nine, nine points. And actually one of those subpoints starts with the wrong letter. What else? What else have you figured out about me? Uh, maybe you've come by the office and on my study, you've seen the little sign on the, on the door handle and it says, quiet please. It's really just a souvenir from the Bodleian Library in Oxford where they have those signs studying. I thought it was cool. But I also realized that sometimes I do need to shut the door. So it works, right? But you might think, oh, okay, silence please. Andy really values solitude and silence. Maybe some of you, a little more cynical, you might think, Andy likes books more than people. That's what this is about. Yeah? Yeah, Uh, I like books, but I also like people. And do you know when I really like people? When I'm supposed to be working hard and diligently on something like a sermon. Sure, come on in. I'm so glad to see you. Let's chat. Uh, Can I pray for you about something or other? I love the distractions in those cases. In this series, we are on the way with St. James, a reference, of course, to the Jakobsweg or the El Camino that goes throughout Switzerland and France and finally Spain. And so like pilgrims who are on the way, we take our pilgrimage alongside our teacher, St. James, and we're going through the Christian life. And in the Christian life, to a lot of our questions, there are a lot of yin answers. For example, Is being a Christian about our faithfulness to God? Or is it about our faith in Jesus? Is listening, James, more important than doing? Is our relationship with God more important than our relationship with people? Answer, yine. Along the way, we're sometimes alone with the Lord, aren't we? Sometimes for many kilometers. But often we're walking alongside fellow pilgrims. And James is here to tell us, as Sam showed us last week, that along the way, we are going to be tested. We will meet trials. And here's the thing about these trials. In the end, these trials all have to do with people. And even if these trials seem like they're really matters of health, for example, even then they're really about people. So that the question then becomes for us as Christian believers on the way, with my insomnia, with my chronic pain, with the side effects from my chemotherapy, with my depression and anxiety, How am I going to, nevertheless, love people along the way? Or maybe it seems like your trial is really about joblessness or overwork. Too few people in your life, loneliness. Or too many people, overwhelming you. Childlessness. Or parenting. Your difficult singleness, or your tough marriage. It is about these things, but the real test is, James is here to tell us, can you, can I, despite these things, still love and serve the people around me? And so for today, trials reveal what we're like, and James shows us three ways that we are three things that we're like apart from God's grace. But then James thinks that these trials are good for us. And so there's three gifts that God gives within those trials. And then lastly, when we get these good gifts from God, they'll change us. And James shows us three things that will become by grace. So what we're like, what God gives, And what we become. So first of all, what we're like. What we're like apart from God's grace when we face trials. James says, friends, watch out. Because when you go through trials along the journey, you are likely to be haughty, half-hearted, and let's face it, hellish. First, haughty. A fancy word for pride and being higher than other people. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. We are likely, when we face trials, to become bitter, to become envious. We meet an obstacle along the pilgrim path and we think only of ourselves. This thing, really, this person, so often, is in my way and I've got somewhere important to be. Verse 16 of chapter 3, this envy and selfish ambition, these attitudes of our hearts, proud, haughty attitudes. James says that these are just the beginning of more obvious words and actions that make a mess out of our lives and that spread ugliness and evil from our hearts into the experience of pilgrims walking alongside of us we're on the way, the sun gets hot, and so we complain. And it spoils the joy of the conversation of the people who are journeying with us. Our fellow pilgrims start to sing pilgrim songs, but they're singing out of tune. And so we put on our noise canceling headphones or earbuds, not because we need a little bit of solitude and silence, those are good things, but because actually we have contempt for our fellow pilgrims. Friends, if there's one thing that the whole Bible teaches us about ourselves, it's that we, from Adam and Eve to Andy and Ellie, we think too much of ourselves. And we think of ourselves too much and especially we do this during trials we will on our own be haughty haughty and the second thing when things get tough on the pilgrim trail we get half-hearted half-hearted look at chapter one verse five you're experiencing a test and you know instinctively i should pray i should ask god But verse 6, you approach God, and as you do, you approach God with the same annoyed, kind of contemptuous attitude that you have towards those pilgrims that are singing out of tune next to you. Ugh, God, are you really good? Come on. Do you really have a crown of life for my head at the end of all of this? Do you really want to help me pass this test? And friends, let's not be mistaken here. It's not that we can't pray this kind of prayer. You should pray whatever is on your heart. God already knows it anyway. But our minds and our emotions, they can struggle with this or that truth. But the problem is not with those sorts of doubts, intellectual, emotional the problem is, in the end, we're half-hearted. Or as James says, the scholars say this is maybe the first person that's used this term. He, James made it up. He says, verse 8, chapter 1, we are double-minded. Double-minded. During our trials, do our hearts belong completely to the Lord? Are we, or are we single-hearted? Are we whole-hearted? Are we determined to follow him? Because we know that even though this is annoying and stinks, our God is good. You see, the Lord wants from us hearts and minds that say, I believe, please help my unbelief. Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. But the problem is that we respond to our trials by saying, See, I knew it. You're not good. Are you going to give me what I need or not? And that's the kind of double-mindedness, half-heartedness that James is talking about here. So we're haughty, we're half-hearted. And then flip over to chapter 3 again. Did you see what he said in verse 15? I'm sure you didn't miss it. He says we're not just haughty and half-hearted, but we're hellish. He says we're earthly, unspiritual, Demonic. When trials come, we use strategies that focus on I, me, my, mine. And in this way, James says, we're becoming like animals, not humans. We're not walking in the spirit, and so we're unspiritual. And James says that, yes, this is demonic. Strange and and hard words, of course, but the point is that the spirits who are in open rebellion against God's spirit, what do they want? They want for us to be unspiritual so that we will not bear in season the fruit of the spirit. And Friends, this is what we're like because this is who we are when trials come This is exactly how we'll act, haughty and half-hearted and hellish, if, if God doesn't help us, if he doesn't give us a whole lot of help. But the good news is that James is convinced that God helps, isn't he? So what does God give? What kind of help does he have to offer? And of course, there's three of these things. First, James says that God gives grace generously to us in the midst of our trials. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously without finding fault. Isn't that cool? We realize that we don't know how to make it through a trial and to persevere graciously through it. And so we turn to God. We ask for help. We ask for it sincerely and he gives grace, and he gives it generously without finding fault. And this is, of course, the opposite of our half-heartedness, isn't it? We're likely to grumble and blame God for everything that's actually our fault, but when God comes to us with grace during our trials, he could come and he could make a laundry list of the things that we've done to mess things up. But instead, he comes without ambition to find fault, without blaming us, without charging us with this and that wrongdoing. One commentator says he does this simply, without reservation, and without hesitation. God gives grace, and he gives grace generously. What else does God give? James says that secondly, God gives growth. God gives growth. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. James says that along the way, God gives grace generously so that we can live lives of growth, so that he can ultimately give growth. And this is going to be, James says, visible growth, obvious growth, growth that people can... Here in our words, growth that people can see in the things that we do. So friends, uh, growth and grace is not passing a Bible exam or a theology test. It's not becoming successful. The growth that God gives along the way, James says, will be evident by a good life. A good life. And then look at verse 17. When God gives grace for our growth, our lives will be, he says, full of fruit. We'll be people who finally, verse 18, have a harvest of fruit to show for ourselves. So God gives grace and he gives growth. But how is James so confident that God will generously give grace and growth? Well, because James has seen God give this third thing. What is it? James is confident that God gives grace and growth because James has seen God give God. How can we be so sure that God will give us wisdom and grace to pass through our trials? Because God has passed through our trials himself in the Lord Jesus. How can I trust that God will give generously? Because he did not withhold from us even his own son. How can he not with Jesus give us all kinds of good things? But how can we believe that when he comes to help us in our trials, he's not coming to blame us? For the problems that we've gotten ourselves into? Well, because God came to us in Jesus Christ and came to us not to condemn us and the world with us, but in order to save us. God gives grace generously, He gives growth. And we can be sure of it because what God gives more than anything else is God. And friends, Your tests, my tests and trials will be so different once we see God giving God. And until we do, then we will be blown and tossed by the wind. We'll be double-minded. We'll be half-hearted. We'll be unstable in all of our ways. We'll be, as he says in chapter 1, like a little raft in a stormy sea. But when friends we see God giving God in Jesus Christ, then we know that God is for us and not against us. And that enables us to move through our trials with a confidence that we would have never had otherwise. So in the midst of tests along the way, St. James has shown us what we'll be like on our own He shows us what God gives so that we won't be like that. And then finally, and just briefly, he shows us what then, by God's grace, we will become. What will we become in the midst of these trials? First of all, we'll become wholehearted. Not H-O-L-E, there's a spot Missing in my heart, but W-H-O-L-E, wholehearted. Instead of being half-hearted and double-minded, we'll be wholehearted. We learn to ask for help in every trial because we become more and more familiar with the generous heart of God. And so that makes us then to move along the pilgrim trail, whether we've got the hot sun blazing on us Whether there's an icy winter blast, whether there's mud and rain, or whether it's a gentle breeze, sunshiny kind of day. It enables us to move along the path, no longer hiding half of our hearts from God and from the people around us. And this makes us, secondly, it makes us humble. Humble. Instead of being haughty, we, James says, we cultivate the habit of humility by God's grace. And what this means is that along the way, people are going to want to walk alongside of us. Not because we're cool or successful or good looking, but because we've learned, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, we've learned the wisdom of humility. And that's attractive. Instead of the disorder, James says, that comes from all of that selfishness and pride, we instead become simple women and men whose lives are ordered by the pure and peaceable love of God and of other people. And then finally, as wholehearted and humble people, we'll be attractive pilgrim partners, maybe even people will ask us to be guides along the pilgrim way. Because above all, James shows us, we will be hopeful. Because we know by God's grace that we're not at our destination. We're along the way. But we are confident that we will get there by grace. And we know, and every step along the way, And every word and action and attitude along the way will show that we know that when we're there, we will finally be the people that we were made by grace to be. That's why people go on pilgrimage. They want to become their true selves, the people they were meant to be. And by God's grace, we know that that's what we are. And that's what we're becoming in Christ. Friends, a couple more questions at the end here. Does God love you because Jesus gave his life for you? Or did Jesus give his life for you uh, because God loves you? Does God care about your growth and your fruit? Or does he care about you? Are our trials good or bad? Yin. But here's one more question, completely unambiguous answer. Is God so committed to you in Christ, that through all of your trials, he will keep giving himself to you so that you will become a person who completely gives yourself back to the Lord Jesus and who wholeheartedly gives yourself to the people in your life. James's answer is, Yah, Because James has been down this pilgrim path. and So his answer is yes. In Jesus Christ, yes. Like all of God's other promises. Amen? Father, we submit ourselves to you afresh and we ask that you would make us peaceable people even as we encounter these trials along the pilgrim way. Give us the wisdom that we don't have The grace that we need and above all of this and in and through all of this that we ask for, please don't fail to give us yourself. You've given us yourself in Jesus. So we trust you to continue to give yourself to us in him and by your Holy Spirit. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.